Hey, Kristen. Hey. You know how last week we read the subject line of an email that was a little rude? Yes. Today, I just want to say thank you to the wonderful person who sent us a very, very nice email. I think you can read the subject line. The subject line? Thank you for your marvelous podcast. Exclamation point. (laughs) They did ask to remain anonymous, but thank you so much. You made our day and week, and also we didn't know what to do. (laughs) Kristen kept asking, why are people listening to this? (laughs) And I said, because we're good. (laughs) And honestly, this person said, I agree. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so thank you very much. That We really appreciated the email. We, we loved it. It was great. They offered to, one time when I mentioned if somebody would put together a list of the occupations I've claimed over the podcast, they said that they are going to do that, which is fantastic. It's amazing. I can't believe somebody would actually take the time to do that. I really appreciate it. It's so not necessary, but I really appreciate it. Also, you've said it more than once. Whatever. <laughs> I'm very curious at this point because I have no idea what your profession is. Yeah, I have no idea. I live with you and I'm just like, how was your day? And you're like, it was a day. And I'm like, were you a doctor, lawyer, cobbler? Doctor, cop, lawyer. Yes. (laughs) That's all we had for the beginning of this. Uh, We don't really have a whole lot. It's a very good episode. It's already very long, so it didn't need an intro. But But we did want to say thank you. Definitely wanted to say thank you. Thank you and we're blushing. All over my body. Greetings, listeners, domestic, international, and extraterrestrial. I am Dave Reed. That was Moses. And I'm Kristen Riley, and this is The Cast Files. I am a nerd who has somehow, even though I was the target demo for this show when it came out, never seen The X-Files. And I watched it when it originally aired, and I was not the target demo because (laughs) I must have been in third grade. I don't think 12-year-olds are in third grade. Oh, is that, that's how old I was when it came out? When this episode came out. That's true. I was a very... Dumb baby. (laughs) Yes. No, you're right. The Cast Files is a podcast where we watch and discuss every episode of The X-Files spoiler-free. Today, we are talking about Season 2, Episode 16, Colony, the name of my favorite In Flames album. It originally aired February 10th, 1995. The teleplay was by Chris Carter. The story was by Chris Carter and David Duchovny. It was directed by Nick Mark, and I was excited to see his name. He went on to direct seven episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, some of them being some of the best episodes. Hush? No, not Hush. That was the only best episode. That was all Joss Whedon. Oh. Uh, Nick Mark directed Something Blue in season four. You'll have to tell me what that is. (laughs) Where Willow uh, makes her desires manifest or whatever the things she says happen Mm -hmm. and it's great episode i don't remember it the only one that i know by name is hush (laughs) (laughs) and also i'm not eh, well this isn't a buffy podcast so i don't have to remember it (laughs) all right so the synopsis is 
As Mulder searches for a killer capable of altering his shape, a woman who claims to be his long-lost sister suddenly appears. Uh-oh. Or, after four identical men are killed and their obituaries are emailed to Mulder, a mysterious CIA agent informs him and Scully that the killer is a bounty hunter sent to destroy the start of a colony. They said the thing colony. in the thing. <laughs> Of clones. Bum, bum, bum. These are both kind of correct, but the... Oh, it, this one's not done yet. Oh, sorry. Meanwhile, Mulder is synopsis. distracted when his sister Samantha suddenly returns. Part one of two. Okay. So one of these descriptions says it's a woman claiming to be his sister. The other says it is his sister. Oh, that's true. Huh. Well, spoiler-free podcast. I don't know if it's true or not. Me neither. At the beginning and the end of this episode, we don't know. Yeah, it's just interesting that each one said different things. That is true, because it I, could be just a slip of the statement. Yeah, I was going to point out that the first one said, claiming to be, but then the second one said it is. So. Yeah. Huh. Well, casting characters, this is the first episode to feature the fan favorite, the alien bounty hunter. Oh, fan favorite. Yep. It's sort of a spoiler. I know. Brian Thompson, who doesn't look like a Brian Thompson to me. Uh, you know what he looks like to me? What? He looks like a Luke. A Luke Thompson? Just Luke. Luke Brian? <laughs> Don't know who that is. I'm just putting Luke in front of the other two words. Oh, yeah. Uh, because he plays the vampire Luke. In the two-part series premiere of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh. And he is one of the few people to play two different characters on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. In season two, he plays the judge. Oh, interesting. He's a very interesting character, and he needs to cut his nose hairs. <laughs> yeah, later on in the episode, it's a little too close. <laughs> yeah. Not originally shot in HD. Nobody could have seen this coming. It probably looks fine in standard definition. Probably, yes. We also have Peter Donat, or Danae. <laughs> Ooh, I like Danae. I do too. He also makes his series debut as William Mulder. Oh. Tom Butler is Agent Ambrose Chapel. But the name like Ambrose sounds like it should be a dog. I think Ambrose is a dog name. I think of big old mutton chops. Mm. Like old timey big old mutton chops. And I think I only think of it because I think the dog's name in Labyrinth is Ambrose? Oh. I think of it because of Ambrose Burnside. Ah. Burnside with big old mud chops? Yeah. Man. Well, that was a fun little name game we just did. <laughs> um, he previously played Benjamin Drake in the X-Files episode, Ghost in the Machine. We have Andrew Johnston. Oh, wow. He did. Yep. Yep. Okay. Special Agent Barrett Weiss previously played Lieutenant Colonel Budahas. Budahas. Yep. Said that when he showed up. You did in Deep Throat. Uh, we have Michael Rogers. He's a, he plays a first crewman here, and he has previously played Lieutenant Griffin in the X Files episode Fallen Angel. Okay. And then finally, we have James Leard, Sergeant Al Dixon. He previously played Captain Roy Lasario. In the X-Files episode, The Erlenmeyer Flask. Wow, there are a lot of clones in the X-Files universe. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, here we go. Oh, actually, how did you feel about this episode? I oh. liked it. Yeah? Like, not even compared to what we've been watching. I liked this episode. 
And it figures Scully would have a great episode the episode after I finally lost my patience with her <laughs> and called her an idiot on the podcast, yep. making me eat my words. Yep, that's true. It figures. It does figure. They let you go, <laughs> and you think you're free, and then they reel you right back in. Ugh. Well, I normally do the part where I say how Chris Carter felt about this episode, but I couldn't find it. Oh, well, would you like to know? I would like to know how Chris Carter felt about this episode. He thinks this is the best episode to date. <laughs> Nick Mark did a great job of directing, and David Duchovny did a great job with the story, and he did a great job with the teleplay. <laughs> you know what? I can't confirm it, but that sounds spot on. <laughs> and I can, I confer with... Nick Mark did a great job directing this episode. That's true. Because I assume they didn't find quintuplets <laughs> to play all these guys. 40-year-old quintuplets. Right. And so for 1995 visual technology, they do a really good job putting all these guys on the screen. They really do. And when they pan across and you can only see one at a time, it makes it look like a one-shot. You can't tell the cuts. It's really well done. It is. It is very well done. And when they are all together at that in that one scene, yeah, you can tell because we've seen people, we've seen this effect so much more in the last 30 years. Yeah. But they're still doing such a good job of playing off each other when there's no one actually there to play off of. Yeah. So, yeah, really good. And it doesn't, you can't see like a black outline around right. <laughs> the guys who aren't really there. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, there's a scene where he transforms from Weiss to the bounty hunter. Yeah. You could tell from the shot that he was getting ready to transform, but it wasn't so overt. Like I agree. You couldn't... I don't think he was on a green screen. I'm not sure how they did this transition, but remember in Genderbender when they did the transition yes. and they looked over and then they looked back and then they one version of this person was an entire foot taller. Right. Even though these two guys aren't the same height, they it, still transitioned it in a way that didn't make it jarring. Yeah, it was really well done. So even within this series, we're already seeing techniques improve. Uh-huh. Which is good. Especially for mid-90s. Oh my gosh, yes. Like you can see transitions these days where you you look at it and you go, oh, that's a green screen. This guy's about to change into something. Right. You can look at it and just see from the shot. This one, I mean, you could, you could, but it wasn't real bad. Right. It wasn't in your face, which again, amazing for the time. Really good for now. Yeah. Amazing for the time. Yeah. All right, let's get into it. So we start off with a Mulder voiceover. Remember, we were going out on voiceovers a lot there now for a while? Yeah, now, now we're, we're coming, coming in. in. He says, speaking of his sister, oh, he's speaking of his sister, the vague memories of his sister's abduction, his fragile faith, and his belief that the aliens are among us and starting to colonize. Mulder is being frantically wheeled into a hospital in a state of severe hypothermia, and the doctors are panicking which is exactly what I always look for in my doctors. <laughs> yeah. They end up placing him into a tub of warm water to raise his temperature. And we're already we're already going off on this one because I I said, I don't think that's right. And I am not a medical doctor. Are, uh, are you a medical doctor this time? Today? No. Okay. Not today. Not today. Okay. I will well, concede to you. I was think I've been thinking about this scene and the treatment for hypothermia all week. Okay. 
it was like 75 degrees outside today. So, but I was still thinking about it while we were there. <laughs> so I'm ready in case of hypothermia. Okay, good. And I would like our listeners to also be ready. Okay, good. Because not everybody lives in a place where it's 75 to 80 degrees in February. February. Right. You just keep doing that. <laughs> so, first aid tips. I won't read all of the um, details, but I'll give you a couple of things. You do want to remove the wet clothing, which they do. They do remove his clothing. You want to cover the person with blankets. So, already we're departing from what they did in the in the show because they decided to get him wetter. <laughs> yes. And first aid is take off the wet, put on the dry. I think they're treating him for frostbite. I didn't look up frostbite because that's not what they said. No, you're right. They're supposed to be treating him for hypothermia, but what they're doing is treating him for frostbite. I don't know. I didn't look it up, so I'm not going to tell anybody to do any of that. I am. I am a medical doctor. Oh. And I can tell you that they're treating him for frostbite instead of hypothermia. I see. Okay, well, for all of us who are not medical doctors, remove wet clothing, cover the person in blankets... Insulate the person's body from the cold ground if you're outside. So you can put them on a blanket or a tarp or anything. Just get them off the get them off directly the ground. Monitor their breathing. Provide warm beverages, which is a nice touch, even if someone's not hypothermic. <laughs> it's just cozy. <laughs> um, use warm, dry compresses. Again, not wet. And don't apply direct heat because you don't want to accidentally damage the person's skin cells in or give them a burn so it's a lot of being gentle getting them out of the cold getting them dry and getting them warm Mm -hmm. which they look like they're handling him bodily they dump him in more water and everybody's panicking so don't Uh, don't do that do what i said definitely and what i said came from the mayo clinic so did you notice that his eyes were puffy and his nose was red yes i did just like in the Erlenmeyer flask, when the alien clone guy gets shot and his blood uh, vapors get in the air. Oh, that's true. Good call. Yeah. So I wanted to cover some of the things that could be helpful tips, but I also wanted to let you guys know some of the wild things people do to warm other people up. So get <laughs> naked and press up against each other. What you might be thinking is, okay, Kristen, if someone's like mildly hypothermic, this sounds good. Get them dry, get them warm, fine. Give them a nice hot tea. But Mulder is severely hypothermic. And And unconscious. So it's a whole different thing. Did you know that there is a situation called blood rewarming? Um, Blood may be drawn. This is all for medical. This is you. This is you. This is... You as the medical doctor would know these things, not me as the lay person. Right. This is why you had to look it up. Yes. So blood rewarming is when the blood is drawn, warmed, and recirculated in the body. A common method of warming blood is the use of hemodialysis machine, which makes sense because it would be a dialysis machine, which is normally used to filter blood in people with poor kidney functions. Heart bypass machines may also need to be used. Huh. You can also do something called warm intravenous fluids, which is basically what it sounds like. So instead of doing the intravenous solution at room temperature, like they are cold. You throw your saline in the microwave for a minute and a half. Yeah. I'm well acquainted with this one. And then you test it on your, the inside of your wrist. You squirt it right there. Just like baby's formula or milk and make sure it's not too hot. 
There's also irrigation. A warm saltwater solution may be used to warm certain areas of the body, such as the area around the lungs or the abdominal cavity. Huh. The warm liquid is introduced to the affected area with catheters. Oh, wow. Okay. Crazy, right? Yeah. That's interesting. I thought so. So now we know. <laughs> and we're still in the cold open. Scully bursts through the door and desperately tries to tell the doctors that the cold is the only thing keeping him alive and that warming Mulder up will kill him. And this is the very first time in my notes I say, what? (laughs) 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 But it is not the last time. So right away, is Mulder having an out-of-body experience? Is that why we have the voiceover and then we show? I think he's just being dramatic. So he's just thinking these things. So we flash back to two weeks prior in the Arctic. A boat sees a UFO hovering for long periods, then accelerating suddenly suddenly, and crashing in the water a short distance away, and then exploding! <laughs> a big fireball in the water. Does this scene connect to anything else in the episode? You just see Brian Thompson getting dragged out of the water. Okay, so that's it. This is how he got to Earth. Oh, so the alien bounty hunter is because he's the alien. Yeah. Not that he's hunting aliens. I think he's also hunting aliens. Yeah. All right. Confession time. Uh Uh-huh. I sat in this room through this episode twice, and I could not watch it. (laughs) Not because it was bad, because I think it was actually pretty good. But my concentration... Your attention span was poor. It... Yes. Poor is kind. <laughs> and I don't know what is wrong with me right now. <laughs> you, you, you checked out three quarters of the way through the last episode <laughs> and stayed checked out. <laughs> no, I loved you that episode. are noticing nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I don't know what's wrong with me, guys. But I'm trying my best. So let's see what I can get through. Adult onset ADD. Man, honestly... Some days I'm curious. All right, so the boat people embark toward the crash site, and that's the last that we see live on site, right? Because the next that we see is on... On the news. On the news. Then we go to an abortion clinic in Scranton, Pennsylvania. What appears to be a regular doctor... (laughs) I don't know why the synopsis or the summary that I pulled called him a regular doctor, because as opposed to what? A weird-looking doctor. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) As a medical doctor myself, (laughs) I can tell you there is a distinct difference between a normal-looking doctor and a weird-looking doctor. Okay, because you know what? Yeah, I thought also, I think that's just a regular guy (laughs) who's wearing a lab coat or a doctor coat, so he's a regular doctor. All right, so now I see. We, We all believe the same thing. And he sees a TV news report about the boat that we <laughs> that saw the fireball. Yeah. And they are rescuing an air quotes fighter pilot from the sea. And Russian I, fighter pilot. And I said, whoa, this is Captain America vibes. Uh, They're in the Arctic. Yeah. I almost said space crash. <laughs> space crash. Sure, that. And then dragging him out of the Arctic. When the doctor, I'm sorry, when the regular doctor. Thank you. Sees the air quotes fighter pilot, the regular doctor becomes hysterical and runs out of the room. He bursts through a double set of doors and runs right in to the Captain America fighter pilot. Russian, Captain Russia. Luke the judge. Yes. 
directly into his arms, into a loving embrace, the end. Everything's good. Oh, that's not what I saw. <laughs> you definitely quit paying attention. The, um, the alien bounty hunter, who is the fighter pilot, grabs the regular doctor and says, where is he? And the doctor says he doesn't know. And the man shoves him to the floor and takes a spike weapon from his pocket. It's like a switchblade, but instead of being a switchblade, it's a switch needle. <laughs> yeah, it's wicked looking, actually. It is. It's like a, it's a switchblade slash ice pick. Yeah, there it is. And he jabs the regular doctor in the back of the neck where you, uh, when you get your pet chipped, where they put the chip. Oh, it's but, not the mandula oblongata? And then he just, I thought it was just in the back of his neck. I figured it is. You think he punctured his brain? Or maybe his spine? Spine. Something. It was a one-shot kill. It so. was, yes. He dead. <laughs> he dead indeed. <laughs> and and he also bubbling green. Well, that's because he's an alien. That's true. Yeah. Or alien clone. Clone of an alien. But if you're the clone of an alien, aren't you still an alien? Isn't the clone of Dolly the sheep still a sheep? Well, if you're born on this planet, are you really an alien? It's existential. Oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> I'm getting deep. Yeah, you are. I'm uh, not only a medical doctor, I'm also a philosophy doctor. Oh, Dr. Philosophy. I, uh, I've gotten two degrees today. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And you didn't even have them when we began this episode. I am nothing if not impressive. <laughs> that is impressive you're right <laughs> then the alien bounty hunter starts a fire and walks out of the building i didn't even catch him starting a fire I didn't either but it says so in my notes okay and so now i have another question okay why are there so many men at this abortion clinic <laughs> uh there were women in the break room weren't there i think there were one or two there was only like three people in there. It felt crowded. It felt like there were a lot of people and they were all dudes. I wasn't paying that close of attention. Now who's not paying attention? Me! <laughs> and then I made a stupid joke that I'm not going to repeat. Oh, okay. Oh, no. <laughs> Actually, I am going to say it and then you can decide whether or not you want to cut it out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I said abortion clinics should be like lesbian clubs. Men-free spaces, unless that man is serving a specific purpose. <laughs> like, like the doctor performing it. Yes. Yeah. Or at a lesbian club, maybe a bartender. Yeah. <laughs> or a waiter. Or a waiter, yeah, sure. Or a bouncer. Or a bouncer. Or a owner of the club. Or most of the patrons. <laughs> at a lesbian <laughs> club? Is that, oh. Hmm. Do I not know what a lesbian is? <laughs> you know what? You're too busy to know what lesbians so I'm are. Getting all these degrees. You just got your doctor philosophy degree and your doctor doctor degree. <laughs> and you're learning how to warm up people's body cavities with saline solution. <laughs> yep, that's how we say it. Yep. In the X Files office, Mulder alerts Scully to an email he received this morning. Three obituaries for three separate doctors. All these guys are doctors, too. I mean, if you're going to clone somebody, the medical system does need a lot of help. Dr. Landon Prince, Dr. Harvey William Buchanan, and Dr. Dale Gayhart, all working in abortion clinics. Why would you create alien clone doctors to only be abortion doctors? Well, they said that they were 
implanting them into the medical field so they could sabotage stuff later. But you would think, like, with the Red Cross, because they specifically mention doing something to the blood supply. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And abortion doctors don't just do abortions. That's just a thing in all of the reproductive health care situations. That's like one tiny little sliver of what doctors do. Yeah, I don't... Is it because two men wrote this? Oh, come on now. How dare you? You're right. How (laughs) dare I indeed. Surely Chris Carter and David Duchovny did a lot of research into female reproductive organs before they wrote this episode. I don't think... You know what? Didn't happen on screen. Didn't happen. No. (laughs) Um, All three of the doctors look identical, and Scully wonders if they're triplets. Mulder says there's no blood connection. How does he know that? I have no idea how he knows this. You just got these emails this morning. (laughs) And there's no bodies. Right. There's no bodies. There's no additional medical anything connected. It's just clips of newspapers. Yeah, and he says that these guys didn't exist until they died, specifically. So it's a nonsense statement. (laughs) Okay, I agree. Yeah, he can't find any records on them at all, which I suppose he could do a quick research to see if they were in the FBI database, but you know these databases don't talk to each other. It's not like the FBI can... What is the the medical bar exam? What is the medical exam? I think it's the medical bar. Yeah, that sounds right. So each of these doctors, if they were in different locations, would have to pass a different set of standards to become legally practicing doctors in their locations and it's not like that's connected to the fbi database so you couldn't just be like doctor this is this person a real doctor because if they don't have an fbi record you're not gonna be able to find them well as dana scully says if you have not committed a crime you will not commit a crime so they're not in the database because they haven't committed crimes and will never commit crimes well they're dead now so she's right in this instance it's true she's having a great episode yeah, and I did say, what records can the feds find on you if you've never committed a crime? I mean, it depends on what job you have. The feds have all of my employee history and my fingerprints and everything. That's true. So I, I wondered and Googled it because I did Google it. And the, uh, the first result was, do you have an unknown criminal history? <laughs> and the little blurb underneath it was... Some people are finding out that even if they've never been convicted of a crime, they have a criminal record. And what the fuck, dude? Well, remember we once said we were going to send off for our FBI files? Yes. And we got the letters and then never sent the letters. I don't know where that they are. We should still do that. I think it would be fun. That's fine. I need to, I need to send off my passport stuff, too. So we can do all that at the same time. Mulder then questions an officer in Scranton who says Dr. Prince performed legal clinical abortions and went about his work quietly and that none of his family have come forward. I still don't know why they think it's murders when there's no bodies. Yeah. I get why Mulder thinks it's murders. Yes. I don't get why the local PDs. They wouldn't. Right. Because people go missing and then they're like, I don't know. (laughs) He says, we found his car keys where the fire started. But we know... Based on all of the history of how cops refuse to do their jobs, that if a person goes missing, if they are legally an adult, the cops will not look for them. And all three of these men are legal adults. Are they, though? So they don't have a history. So they're basically infants. Sexy born yesterday. (laughs) 
Oh yeah. The officer informs Mulder and Scully that they have arrested a Reverend Calvin Sistrunk, who has apparently threatened the doctors beforehand, which I was like, that's super cool. Um, you keep having this guy threaten to murder these doctors, and you're like, well, I guess we'll arrest him after the doctor goes missing. Did he threaten him before? Did That's, they say that? They did. Okay, because when they get him in the room, he says, I'm not violent. I do not prescribe to taking life or whatever. Right, he does say Nonsense. that. Nonsense. But what are you going to do when you're getting... You're getting information on a person's bad behavior from a cop and that person who is a crackpot who is anti-choice. You got your anti-choice religious person over here and you've got a cop over here. So who's actually telling you the truth? I'm going to bet neither one of them. I was going to say that's a choice. (laughs) That's an option. Neither of those guys is an option. The officer shows the agents a clipping of an advertisement inquiring about the whereabouts of Dr. Prince that Sistrunk was carrying. It is determined that in all three cases, nobody has been found. So again, we don't know why these wouldn't just be forever open missing persons. Sistrunk is then brought in and shows no sympathy for Dr. Prince. Sistrunk knows nothing about the other murders and claims he found the clipping in the local newspaper, which, okay. I mean, that's verifiable. Which they go verify. Yes. Mulder and Scully then arrive at the newspaper office and they ask about the ad and apparently the man who placed it left no details, which is probably pretty standard for 1995. Cash, check. Yeah, you don't really need fingerprints to put an ad in the paper. No, and you don't, no, there's no reason. Scully asks Mulder why they are pursuing a case that is going nowhere, which sounds like a very cop thing to do. It does, and Scully's done this before, too, where there's something really, at the very least, really weird happening. Right. And she's like, well, this, there's nothing here. I'm sorry. Three guys who look identical to each other are gone? That's weird. So, also, obituaries were sent, but bodies were never found. Yeah, he calls them obituaries, but they looked like just articles, news articles. Okay. Okay, because it wouldn't make sense to have an obituary. Who would put an obituary in the paper? Because that doesn't just happen. A family member writes it. And none of these guys have family. Right. Yeah. And the bounty hunter's not doing it. <laughs> That'd be funny. That's his, that's his redemption. He kills, <laughs> yeah. and he looks all mean doing it. But then at, late at night, he these goes and These men he, deserve rest. Yeah. <laughs> deserve to rest in peace. Yes, he writes it. Submits it to the local newspaper with cash. At the very bottom of the, like, who they're survived by, they are mourned by the man who killed them. Yeah. (laughs) They always cut that for space, though. (laughs) Oh. So the message never gets out. Nope. He's been trying. That's so sad. It really is. That's why he keeps doing it. Yes. He's just trying to get his message across. He would stop murdering if they would just print the whole bit. Right. He just keeps going over the character limit, and it's that last bit. It's the media's fault. It is. It usually is. Damn the media. <laughs> Mulder says it sounds just like an X-File and says if they were being set up, they would have more information. <laughs> Which I also wrote, what? But <laughs> I guess what he's saying is when somebody's lying, an easy way to tell if somebody is lying is if they give you too many details. Yeah. And they're not getting any details, which... I've never really subscribed to that, though. 
I've definitely found myself doing it. Like if I remember back to being a teenager yeah. and I'm like, I was here and so-and-so was there and we did this and <laughs> when really I was just, usually I was lying about the dumbest stuff. Like I was at a different friend's house and it was just the two of us and we were watching TV. <laughs> but instead of saying that, it would be like this whole elaborate bullshit. Uh-huh. See, I've got the trauma of dating a lot of really suspicious people who accuse you of doing things you never did, so I'm just upfront with every detail. That's bad for you. Why why are you choosing these <laughs> suspicious people? I don't know. I'm glad I stopped. Yeah. I mean I'm just tired. I don't have what am I gonna do? Where were you? Were you at work today? <laughs> <laughs> were you someplace easily verifiable how long you were there for the entire week? I can tell by the way you walk through the door that you've been at work all day. (laughs) Mulder suspects that there are more of these identical men and finds a pattern in the location of the murders. He actually doesn't. He says he finds a pattern, but he just (laughs) points at three different places on the map. He's like, it's over here, then it's over here, then it's over here. That's a pattern. No, it's no, not. it's just three points It's not on the, on the same interstate. They're not in the same state. It's Mm-mm. a hard east and then a north. Yeah. It, that's not a pattern. You made kind of a triangle if you really force it. Yeah. <laughs> Any three points can be a triangle. Right. So. <laughs> I guess technically triangle's a pattern. Right. Ugh, it's not a meaningful pattern, I guess we would argue. <laughs> Mulder then asks about the phone number in the ad, and the attendant curtly tells him that the bill needs to be paid. Mulder pays it and dials the number, and Scully says 24 people have responded, and the man has been seen in Syracuse. So what they do, just a little bit more of an explainer, is there's a phone number to call on the advertisement, and the lady gives them the passcode to check the voicemail for the Have you box. seen this man and it's a picture of the clones? Yes. And it's north. So now we no longer have a triangle. We have our trapezoid. Yes. Mulder observes that location is consistent with the random other <laughs> spots on the map he touched. Trapezoid. <laughs> Special Agent Barrett Weiss answers a phone call from Mulder who asks him to find and protect a Dr. Aaron Baker. Weiss says he'll help and contact him with an address as soon as he can, which he does. Weiss arrives at the house of Baker, but before he knocks on the door, he pulls a super cop and watches this man get murdered and then doesn't (laughs) stop it and doesn't help. And then he comes in the door. Yep. And says, hey! You shouldn't have done that. And um, it was the alien bounty hunter killing this clone, and then the alien bounty hunter kills Weiss. No. I don't believe he does. I believe Weiss accidentally kills himself. Explain. Alien blood is toxic. And he shoots him three times. You're right, because he... Just like Mulder in the Erlenmeyer flask. You're right, because he does breathe in the toxins. I have a prediction for the end of the episode. You're, You're very, very right. Okay, so he dies, but you're right. The alien bounty hunter doesn't kill him directly. The cop shoots him, as cops are wont to do. Because he moved. I mean, he moved. But he did wait until after the murder was already committed to yeah. do anything. And then the guy moved. It's true. He, he was holding a weapon. Oh, my gosh. 
But he shifted. He shifted uh, his weight from foot to foot, so he had to die. Oh my gosh. Well, somebody died, and then he gets put into his own trunk, and then the alien bounty hunter becomes him and talks to the agents and says, there's two weeks of mail in the mailbox, which there wouldn't have been. No, he's lying to throw them off the scent. But they don't also check. Because they think this guy is also FBI. I know, and they seem to think that he's... On the level. A superstar? Is this the guy they think's a superstar later? No. Okay. Well, they think somebody's a superstar because he's got 17 years of... That's the CIA guy later. Oh, okay. That's when I checked out. I was like, there's too many there's too many cops in this episode. I, I mean, it's a <laughs> show about cops. Right. So we start with two, and then there were like an entire Three more abortion clinic of cops. Wow. I swear that clinic was full of men. Just shoulder to shoulder. (laughs) (laughs) They were all being there for their partners. No, they weren't. They were being good partners. No, they weren't. Like all men. Wow. Hashtag yes all men. No. (laughs) Shut up. I'm leaving. (laughs) Wow. So then we go to Skinner's office, which is funny because the last episode, I was like, we haven't seen Skinner in a while. And then he shows up in this one. And I was like, oh, it's like they heard me. <laughs> they heard me going off on Scully and said, oh, good Scully episode. <laughs> they heard you going, we haven't seen Skinner. Here he is. Here he is. Skinner demands to know what Mulder was doing in Syracuse, why it was not authorized, and why there is no paperwork. And Mulder says to Skinner, he thought that they had an understanding about the X-Files as regards to the unusual cases he works on. He says to Skinner, I thought I was allowed to do whatever I wanted. Because <laughs> I'm cute. And he smiled at him. <laughs> That's what happened. No notes. <laughs> Skinner furiously tells him that his higher-ups aren't so understanding, especially when one of their agents is found dead. And Mulder's like, what? Skinner tells Mulder in no uncertain terms that his investigation is terminated and wants a full report in the morning, which we know is an empty threat. (laughs) Also interesting that the investigation is terminated when an agent is killed during the investigation. (laughs) We don't want to look into this any further. (laughs) He's dead, and that's scary, and we want to not know anything else. Mulder, I'm scared. (laughs) Get in your office and do paperwork only. Lock the door and don't let anybody in. (laughs) Watch for paper cuts. Paper cuts can be serious. In his office, Mulder receives a phone call from Scully, where he tells her the latest information and wishes he knew what was happening. Scully is shocked to hear of Agent Weiss's death and tells Mulder to check his email because she's been sent an image of another identical doctor, Dr. James Dickens, who's right there in Washington. That's good because Mulder's not allowed to fly anywhere. Oh, he's grounded. Arriving at Scully's apartment, Mulder is approached by an Agent Ambrose Chapel working for the CIA. Oh, there's the CIA guy. He says he needs to speak about the case Mulder is working on and says he has a story to tell. And he drums his fingers in a temple shape right below his chin. I missed that part. He does it for four minutes. Damn. (laughs) Was I in the bathroom? (laughs) Yep. Ambrose tells Mulder and Scully that they've known about the identical men for a decade. So I said, we have to stop funding government cops, man. (laughs) Why? 
I'm happy to pay taxes, but fuck. Feed and house people and fix the potholes. Don't let these guys follow these men, these identical twins around for a decade. What are you doing? Following identical twins. Stop. I'm taking, I'm revoking your money. Who's going to solve the crimes? <laughs> Not them. <laughs> what you, yeah, but then they're going to need federal assistance. Okay. Because they don't have jobs. Okay. And we shouldn't help people that need help. No, that's We incorrect. need that money to go to cops. We we need the cops to stop following innocent people, which sounds like these doctors are innocent people. They're not. They're clones. No, they're innocent. They're Russian spies. They they are not. They do not they're have... Russians. <laughs> they don't have any criminal record. They don't have any record at all. They don't even exist. Russia. <laughs> it's, it's definitely a place with people in it, yes. And sometimes those people leave there. Yes, they are. No. Yes. Russia. No. It's it's fine. It's really okay. You don't have to follow every Russian person for a decade. Russia. <laughs> that's that's pretty much how I feel the eighties and the nineties were. <laughs> it's what growing up in the eighties was like. It's... Yeah. <sighs> the Soviets have been working on the genetics of identical twins and isolated the specific DNA material in order to reproduce it. They say, so they're clones? And he responds, by all outward appearances, yes. What about the inward appearances? Wouldn't they be identical on the inside as well if they're clones? Yes. What a weird way to say that. It really is. <laughs> the program codename was Gregor, the name given to every clone and that the first one came in the 1970s. And for anybody who was like, uh, Gregor, which which one was that? Gregor Mendel discovered DNA, and he used the basic principles of hereditary, determined through pea plants. So if you remember that from high school biology, that's who they're talking about. Wow, good job. I figured that it might be helpful because a lot of us haven't been to high school biology in... Uh, it's been a very long time. In a, in a little while. Since then, they've managed to bring a cadre of clones into the country and have infiltrated the medical industry for the purpose of sabotaging the medical system and the contamination of the blood supply in the event of war. Yeah, that's bad. Starting in abortion clinics? Makes no sense to put them there, but if that's what the spies are here to do, that's bad. And sending somebody in to kill them all is a good thing. It's a good idea to not let them do that. Yes, that would be a bad thing to be happening. But they've been following them for a decade and have... No, they only found out they were in the U.S. a year ago. Oh. They knew about the clones for a decade. They only found out they were in the U.S. a year ago. Okay. And I'd say we should not let them contaminate the blood supply. So killing these guys off, if it's true that that's what they're here to do, killing these guys off is a good idea. It seems like it's not what they're doing, though. Well, that's what sleeper cells are, though. They, they don't do bad things the whole time. They just stay around and be normal citizen and then do a bad thing. Ambrose believes that it is the Gregors, Gregors, that have been contacting Mulder based on his reputation and that he may protect them and bring the truth to light. I would love that. I have no idea what the actual truth is. Right. It's hard to tell at this point. He makes the point of this would be state-sanctioned murder, and they act shocked right? about it. One of them's in the CIA, the other's in the FBI. We're talking about two organizations who, in the last few months, 
have admitted to murdering Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. So I'm having a hard time with them acting shocked about state-sanctioned murder. Oh, my jewels! Let me clutch them! (laughs) Mulder wants to know how Ambrose knows they've been contacted, and Ambrose shows them the newspaper ad that he placed. That was me, buddy. So I'm glad that's where our money's going. (laughs) Classified ads? Yes. Someone's got to keep the newspapers in print. Guess it's the CAA catfishing the FBI. (laughs) (laughs) Makes sense to me. You know what? It's as good a use of their time as any. It's probably a better (laughs) use of their time than what they actually do. They're not harassing anybody when they're doing those two things. So, you know what? I've changed my mind. Yeah, good idea. Keep doing it. Amber says that what they are dealing with is government-authorized murder. And if they get to the Gregors, maybe the truth can be heard at last. So nobody's saying anything here. They're like, we all kill people and we have to pretend that we don't. And um, I don't know. If we get to the Gregors, maybe, maybe we'll solve the case? (laughs) I'm not even sure what the case is at this point. Do they know what the case is? Because it sounds like Mulder's trying to save the Gregors and the CIA is trying to kill the Gregors? No, he's saying that he's there to save them too. So that the truth can come out. He wants to save them, but he also believes that they're a sleeper cell that's trying to infiltrate the <laughs> right. medical industry and poison all of our blood. Yeah, makes sense. Sure. In Germantown, Maryland at night, a Gregor clone is inside a rundown warehouse. He is in a laboratory with glass tanks filled with green fluid and monitoring equipment. He takes one last look at the tanks and leaves, getting into a waiting SUV being driven by a young woman. They pull up outside an apartment block and enter. Moments later, Mulder and Scully park in the street and then knock on the door. The woman leaves the room before Dr. Dickens answers the door, and Mulder says he believes he's been trying to contact them. But before the man can respond, Chapel appears behind them, and the doctor is (laughs) amazing in his terror when he turns and bolts and throws his body (laughs) out out that window. window. It's pretty great. Now, the young lady, when she decides to make herself scarce and go into the other room... She grabs her coat from the coat hanger. And that's such a small but good thing. That is really smart. I totally would not do that. If I'm trying to be stealthy, (laughs) it would just be like my hoodie hanging right there. In in everybody's faces. And it smells just like me. Right. (laughs) Mulder looks out the window as Scully says she'll call the paramedics, but the man gets up and runs away. It's pretty funny. His severely broken, dislocated arm goes, and he's okay. It's a pretty good look. It's a good stunt, too. Yeah. Because it's not like a mannequin being thrown out a window. A dude jumped out that window. (laughs) Yeah. It's a good job. It was a good job. The practical effects are good in this one. Yeah. The woman stays hidden. Mulder and Chapel give chase through the streets. Mulder (laughs) closes in just as Dickens reaches a busy street where Mulder gets hit by a car. (laughs) And then everybody asks him, are you okay? And if that was me, no, no, I'm not okay. Did you see that? I just got hit by a car. I'm not okay. You would tell me that every day for the rest of your life. I'm really bad. (laughs) I've been hit by a car. It sucks. I know. Guess how many times you've told me that. At least four. (laughs) That's true. It is at least four. It's not that many. (laughs) Um, Scully checks on Mulder and he says, I'm just winded. Don't let him get away. (laughs) (laughs) Knocked the wind out of me and broke all of my ribs. (laughs) 
Dickens runs into an alley and he's cornered, even though we just saw him bodily throw himself <laughs> from a fourth story window, get up and run away. He, he cannot climb a chain link Can't. First. Can't do it. So I've decided he's got, he's got like bludgeoning strength. Oh. But he doesn't have dexterity. Okay. <laughs> so. Resistance to bludgeoning damage? Yes. Okay. But, you know, the different skill sets, man. Dickens runs and is cornered by Chapel. He tries to escape, but Chapel grabs his ankle. Chapel's face is now the spy killer. And the way it's shot, the first time I watched it, I totally didn't get that it was the same person. Yeah. <laughs> Chapel was the guy just in disguise and i was like oh they're working together <laughs> and then like an hour after watching it i went oh wait a minute <laughs> scully arrives gun drawn good job and once again we see chapel who claims that dickens blindsided him and went up the fire escape scully realizes that the fire escape has the ladder is still up and out of reach and david said ah he could have pulled it up after him and i or is it like spring-loaded? Like you have to have weight on it to keep it down? Oh, it could be spring-loaded. Because the guy definitely grabbed the ladder and pulled it down. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Spring-loaded would make sense, kind of. So, that's probably not the right term or no. technology, but like... I know what I you... get what I'm saying. Yeah. We don't live in skyscraper skies. We don't. <laughs> Although, we do have a balcony. And we do have a balcony jumper. Yeah. Moses tried to escape the other day fell off the balcony he's okay and realized as soon as he was on the ground that he desperately desperately needed to be back on the balcony <laughs> poor guy yeah he was all fluffed up he was shaken for the, the next three hours and anytime i'd walk by he'd want to rub his face on me <laughs> <laughs> you're you're okay the next day scully enters Mulder's office to check on his condition Oh, that night in the alley, she also stepped in some green fluid with bubbles. So that comes up in a minute. Oh, yeah. And when they panned away, it started bubbling and hissing and steaming. Very good effect. Yes. Uh, so the next day, she goes to Mulder's office to check on him. He darkly asserts that he feels like he should have used the crosswalk. Um, he tells Scully that if Chapel's story is true, a massive conspiracy can be brought to the public eye. Yeah, this country doesn't like it when people do that. No. Scully says that this whole case is unbelievable, as is Chapel's story. But Mulder says he did a check on Chapel, and he is a 17-year veteran with an exemplary record. Thank you very much. And I said, which means what? It means that he's covered up all of his illegal doings because he's been in the government? I said, this guy being a real bona fide CIA agent makes him more believable somehow? Yeah. Instead of less believable? He's a really good spy. He's really good at lying. Right. So we believe him. Mulder is so gullible and yet always gets to be right. <laughs> it drives me nuts. Yeah, I understand. I understand why. Scully asks why such an experienced agent would need their help, and how could he let the doctor escape so easily? Well, an experienced agent in the CIA definitely uses other people to do the work. Yeah. <laughs> so so now who's gullible? <laughs> Everybody. <laughs> She then says that Dickens wasn't running from them. He was running from Chapel, which is true. And Mulder says, do you want me to put that Chapel killed Weiss in my report? She says, that's not my job. Why isn't she also making a report? She was there too. I don't know. I feel like they would both because they're not always together and they're not always doing the same things. I don't know. Scully then says Mulder will chase a case until insanity and the line must be drawn. 
Which is true, but also I'm not sure how it applies in this argument. No, there's tons of weird stuff going on here and no reason for Scully to be like, we should stop looking into this stuff that's obviously really weird. Right, and she just accused the CIA agent of murdering somebody. (laughs) So, why stop looking into it? None of it makes sense. Mulder simply says that she should step away and that everyone draws their own lines, which also is like, what are you two doing? What are these lines? After a short, tense silence, Scully shows Mulder a pair of shoes she has only had one week, yet she stepped in a pool of green liquid last night that ate right through the soul. She says, maybe I'm being paranoid, but it was in the exact same spot where Chapel said the doctor escaped. But also remember right before she does this, she says they should stop following this case. Not a well-written scene. No. So we'll just move on. In the morgue, Scully and Mulder are examining the body and all the tests are clean apart from the blood work, which showed... Why do I do this? Why don't I have you read the medical terms since you're the doctor? I, I don't know. Polycythemia, an excessive production of red blood cells. So this is gross. The autopsy doctor says the blood curdled like jelly as if something caused the blood to thicken or clot prior to death. Yet they also say the autopsy came back clean and there's no reason for death. They cannot find the cause of death except for this one thing that if happened to you, you could not survive. But I don't know. Uh, Natural causes, maybe? (laughs) He was scared to death. He died of a broken heart. He used up all of his heartbeats. (laughs) (laughs) That's the <laughs> Mulder then says that Chapel mentioned that the Gregor clones were intending to contaminate the blood supply, and one of those could have been used to kill the field agent. Scully has no idea, and all she can do is suspect Dr. Dick is inspect Dr. Dickens's bag, which was recovered from his apartment. Then Mulder is summoned by Skinner. Scully tells him Skinner will want to know why he hasn't filed his report, and Mulder says he'll tell him the truth. He was hit by a car, which I that's, that's the truth. Mulder arrives in Skinner's office, apologizing for his late report. Skinner says that's not why he's asked for Mulder. I told you that report wasn't important. I told you. <laughs> you I did. called it. He tells Mulder that his family has been trying to reach him urgently. Mulder leaves and calls his father, but his mother answers the phone, which apparently we're supposed to think is super strange. But I don't know that we know anything about Mulder's family. No, I don't think that we know that they're divorced. But you can infer it like i don't think it's supposed to be a shock to us but he makes it clear that it's not a usual thing he I does it's fine yeah it's just <laughs> it was like i don't feel like it's as big of a surprise but i've also read agents of chaos so yes. i know all about Mulder's teenage years how much of a cool cute rebel he was <laughs> yep Awesome. It's exactly what the book's about. <laughs> He's a cool, cute rebel. <laughs> it's the first line. So you've read it too, huh? Yeah. I wrote it. Oh, my goodness. Well, there's not as much of the um, teenage girl yoga poses, so... <laughs> <laughs> that one's okay to write. Yikes. One thing that I think is weird is he calls his father. His mother picks up the phone at the house that she doesn't live in. But then she immediately passes the phone to his dad. To say that there's something strange going on and Mulder should just come. I understand not wanting to give this information over the phone. I, yes, you made, you made that point clearly, but why was she answering the phone? She was closer. Why did she then hand the phone to the dad instead of saying, hey, something's happened? Because he walked to the phone. 
I don't think it makes any sense. Because a woman can't be coy like that. Oh, yes, coy is what I exactly how I would describe these two men and their scenes together. Very coy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so his dad tells him to come home, and Mulder promises him he will. After Scully tells him she found an address from Dr. Dickens's bag, he abruptly leaves, saying he has to go home. <laughs> and I said, home is always an interesting concept. What does it mean to you? I would never, I could never say that. I'm going, I wouldn't say that if I was going back to Indiana. I would not say I'm going home. I'm a little jealous of people who can say it, but I'm also... I would say I'm coming here. But I'm also like, confused. If I say I'm going home, like... I'm coming to this building. Yes, I have. I definitely use home in that context. Man, I use home whenever I'm at a hotel and I'm like, I'm done here. I'm going home. But I don't actually mean I'm going home. I just mean I'm done here. I'm going back to the hotel. I guess home is wherever I'm sleeping at the moment. Makes sense to me. Scully drives to the address that she got from Dr. Dickens' bag. It's the same warehouse where Dr. Dickens was in the lab. She enters, gun drawn. Good job. She again steps into the green liquid. Bad job. Yes. <laughs> she peeks around a corner into the heart of the warehouse, seeing Chapel smashing the containers full of fluid and squashing the strange biological contents, which ooze green liquid. Squish. Yep. Chapel raises his head, alerted to Scully's presence, and pursues her. By the time he exits the warehouse, Scully is already pulling away in her car. Back at Scully's apartment, she calls Mulder, leaving a message on his answering machine telling him that she is worried that she is in danger and that she has been followed. So the best place to go is right back to your house. Not the FBI house. Not the FBI house? Yes, not the FBI house okay. if you're being pursued by a murderer. She had to put a bag together so she could leave and go to Germantown. Sure. They probably got a phone tag here. They do. Which is annoying because Mulder's cell phone got broken when he got hit by a car but scully has hers and Mulder forgets that until like three phone calls from now yeah it's a lot meanwhile Mulder is in martha's vineyard he goes to his dad's house his dad's outside his dad tells him that his sister is back he says guess who's back back again <laughs> samantha's back <laughs> call a friend guess who's back and then in a couple more scenes, uh, Mulder puts his mom to bed at 530. <laughs> the sun is still up. <laughs> oh, or is the sun coming up? I don't know. I did think that, that she'd been up all night. That must be what it would. What it, it was just hilarious. It's funny to think about that. It's, it's five thirty p.m. And he's like, "It's time for bed." <laughs> Mom, you're an old lady. You've got to be what? At least fifty. <laughs> oh, not fifty. <laughs> it has to be the morning because he arrives at night. Yeah. But it's just so funny because the sun is obviously up. Yeah. And the clock says five thirty-five. <laughs> oh, it's it's a lot. Nothing really happens here. We know that there's... He gets to his dad's house. His sister's there. He tucks his mom in. He and his sister talk a little bit. The dad's having trouble communicating. Ugh, boomers. Seriously. Men in general. Well, they talk and she tells him that she started having troubles and she went to regression hypnosis therapy. Yes. The thing we hate 
on this podcast. Yes. She says she was 9 or 10 when she was returned and has no memory, but was placed with a family who raised her. She knew they weren't her parents, but also couldn't remember her parents or Mulder. She says a few years ago, she started having trouble and was diagnosed with pre-floating anxiety. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds like a real thing. So I Googled it. Uh, I know what a free-floating apparition is because of Ghostbusters. Oh. But not anxiety. It's like that, but it makes you just real anxious. Oh, okay. But sometimes it's it's not. anxiety with no legs. Yes. All right. And it's not always touching you, but if it goes through you, then you get real anxious. Oh, and cold. Yes, but then if it's just free-floating over there, you're just like, you know how people say the elephant in the room? Oh. It's just the free-floating anxiety in the room. I see. But I did Google it, and there were no reasonable resources on page one. It didn't go any further. <laughs> what a surprise. Yeah, so that's when she worked on um, <laughs> regression hypnotherapy, and look at my note. No! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Suddenly she remembered everything, the abductions, the tests. She seems genuine, or at least genuinely believe what she's saying. Or she genuinely believes Mulder will believe her. Whatever. She then tells Mulder that she is in danger, that she and her father, Dr. Dickens, are being hunted by a man. She was the woman in that apartment. Who was smart enough to grab her coat. Yes. So this girl was abducted by aliens. Yes. Returned to the planet Earth. Yes. And then adopted by other aliens. Clones of aliens. (laughs) Other clones of aliens. That is unfortunate. It is a lot. It sounds like she had a pretty loving... It's a wild coincidence. It is. She didn't say they were bad or anything. She said she started having trouble, which is fine. Everybody has trouble. Yeah, a couple years ago when I was a teenager. Right. I started having some trouble because I realized I couldn't remember anything from before I was nine. I was starting to display abnormal behaviors. (laughs) Which is normal Normal for a teenager. teenager. Yep. Oh, man. Spending all day around a bunch of teenagers was... It's pretty fun watching teenagers just... Have fun. Yeah, and be in their element without a lot of adult supervision. No direct adult supervision. Yeah. Man, they are just gangly goofballs who don't know what to do with their bodies. It's funny. (laughs) Teenage boys who have been tall for four months... (laughs) Yes! ...is funny to watch. It's pretty amazing. And then the girls, the teenage girls, all of them have grown at different rates so you've still you've got some of the girls who are just the tiniest doll babies babies and then you've got someone else who's one year older who's just like well that's a woman's body jesus (laughs) but then she's tripping over her own feet because she just grew into her feet (laughs) (laughs) and then they get in their little groups and run around (laughs) i love it i love regatta days Samantha says that there are visitors here, that they're aliens, and a bounty hunter has been sent to kill them all, and she tells Mulder that he's met the killer and that his lies have hurt many. He won't stop until they're all dead, and he will soon come for her. She is in danger. Which makes it sound like she's an alien, right? Well, let's wait till my predictions. Samantha tells Mulder that Scully won't recognize the bounty hunter as he can disguise himself as anyone. And he does. She says a normal person cannot recognize him, but she can, which is another hint that she's also an alien. Uh. Scully is jogging through town and gets on a bus. And I said, what? Because I actually don't remember this scene. But when I read this little bit, 
I was like, is she go? She's jogging through town, thinking she was going for a run, and then she got on a bus, and I was like, because she's going to Germantown. What kind of a run is that? This is when I was fully checked out and looking at Airbnb, like I can go on vacation. She calls Mulder and again reaches his answering machine. So they're continuing to do back and forth. She says she leaves a message saying that she'll be at Vacation Village in Germantown. Hell of a name for a hotel. Mm-hmm. She returns to the warehouse, inspects the destroyed equipment, including a pouch containing a tiny baby alien. And it moves. It goes, rawr! Yeah, it does. <laughs> and she goes, ugh. <laughs> and it's a little, oh God, it's an umbilical cord, but it's made out of plastic. And it's the sack, the placenta, but it's all made out of plastic yeah. with the little baby alien on the inside. Rawr! Yeah. <laughs> yep. She's like... Why am I picking this up with my bare hands? I don't know, but I can't stop. It's it's great. I love it. It was pretty good. She looks around and sees another Gregor clone. He runs off, but Scully catches up with him and holds him at gunpoint. She says she won't shoot him, and she insists that he put his hands on the wall, but the clone says she can't harm him. He opens a secret door, and three more identical clones emerge. I do love when someone's holding me at gunpoint, saying that they're not going to shoot me, because I have a real hard time with that. Just me? <laughs> the time that I got a gun pointed at me this week. My God. <laughs> I just took a step to my right. That story is just absurd. <laughs> it was not aggressive, everybody. It was just poor gun safety. Yeah. It was like uh, the gun wrangler at the X-Files. <laughs> yes. Oh, so all of the doctors are standing there. It's a good looking scene. They say that they're the last four and they must be protected. And if they're not protected, then they're already dead. At Scully's orders, each of the man, men is driven off by the police with the instructions that they be held in maximum security and protected around the clock. So RIP those guys. <laughs> Ooh, spoilers. When the police chief asks who they are, Scully simply says that when she knows, she'll tell him. Each man is driven off. However, the bounty hunter is observing the whole operation from the roof of a nearby building. And this is where we see his glorious, glorious nose hairs. <laughs> this is where standard definition was adequate and high definition is unfortunate. <laughs> he had Rapunzel locks up his nostrils. <laughs> Poor Brian Thompson. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, but someone should have, he should have had better friends. <laughs> Mulder calls Vacation Village and asks for Scully. The clerk says nobody has checked in under that name. He Does tells, not call her cell phone. Nope. He tells the man to have her call him when she checks in. And he goes to write something down. His pencil snaps and he forgets the name immediately. And Everybody I, in the show is bad at taking messages. Everybody. Which is why you should call people cell phones. Yes. She also, used to call being, me on my cell phone. What's the next line? Uh, Late night when you need my love. I, I don't know. I do not listen to Drake. <laughs> At the maximum security compound, we see each doctor held in cells. This is that one shot that's not an actual one shot yeah. that looks really good. The police chief enters, relieves the guards, and actually sends one of them off to get him coffee. Rude. It was. It was rude. The familiar sound of the spike is heard. And also seen. Yes. I said, oh no, a bad police chief? Who'd have thought? (laughs) I mean, but it wasn't. But it was all at the same time. We get a timestamp, 11.21 p.m. Mulder knocks on Scully's door. 
and she lets him in while her phone rings. When she answers it, Mulder is on the other line. Oh, shit! It was two Scully, it's me's, like, back to back. Yeah. Knock, knock, knock. Who is it? Hey, Scully, it's me! <laughs> ring, ring, ring! Who is it? Hey, Scully, it's me! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Shock and terror are etched on Scully's face. And then, to be continued. Good episode. I liked it. I was here. (laughs) Yes, you were. And nobody can take that from you. Nope. And if they did, I would not know. So do you have anybody to ship? Um, One of the doctors and one of the other doctors. Ew. (laughs) Gross. All four of the doctors. All four of the remaining doctors to be my four dads to that infant... That, that is alien, also them. That alien fetus. And I want it to be on TGI Friday. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Aaron, I'm in now. Four abortion doctors, one fetus. <laughs> oh, Jesus. That's, that, oh. That's going to get us another nasty email. <laughs> Good, I'm going for two. <laughs> I'm going with that, too. It's it's good. It's it's too good not to. They, you know, one of them will be like the bumbly abortion doctor dad. And the other one will be like the gruff abortion doctor dad who just wants to. Well, they're clones. They're all the same guy. They all have to have the same personality. No. Who want No. No, this is my show. It's our show now. No. I got on board. <laughs> the other one is the gruff sports abortion doctor dad who just Jesus. wants to play fetch with his fetus in the yard, but the baseball is the same size as the fetus. <laughs> so it has trouble catching. And then they get a dog and sometimes... No! How are you surviving? <laughs> I knew it was going to go off the rails like that. I want the Jim Henson company to be involved for this puppet. How am I surviving? I don't know. I'm, I'm not. I just wrote this whole show and somebody's I'm joining up with the alien bounty hunter. He is efficient. He's good, and if these guys are going to sabotage all of us, they need to go. But I feel like they're not. I feel like that was just a ploy. All right, well, let's get to my predictions then. Okay, what are your predictions? (laughs) My predictions are Brian Thompson, alien bounty hunter, is a good guy. Mm. These guys are actually bad, and he is taking them out for a good reason. Ooh, I like it. That's why I think it's important to point out that he didn't kill Weiss. Weiss inadvertently killed himself. Yes, that will be important when it turns out he's the good guy. Because he's only killed these clone guys. He hasn't even hurt anybody else. He had a chance to hurt Scully and Mulder. Right. Didn't bother. And another prediction is Samantha Mulder is a clone of Samantha Mulder. Not the real thing. Ooh, I like that. Why would they send Samantha Mulder's clone to Mulder? Because they want to keep the real one. This is a way to cloud his judgment. 
have they not met this man? His judgment <laughs> is so cloudy, it's fog in California. Yeah, but he's always right. It's true. <laughs> Terrible judgment, always right. I hate that. He'll never learn because he doesn't have to. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he never has to change. His his uh, process is ironclad. <sighs> the worst kind of person to run into when you're just like oh how do you keep getting lucky (laughs) (laughs) there are so many flaws in this it's just one big hole it's like season four sean spencer (laughs) he throws out three theories that are all wrong before he gets to the right one and you go how are the cops still trusting this guy (laughs) he's been wrong the entire episode also one of my favorite tv shows and characters so yeah let's not I'm not trying to denigrate the show. <laughs> I guess you're saying it's a character trait of... Awesome dudes. Yes. <laughs> awesome dudes that everyone should be like. Yep. <laughs> no notes. All right. Well, All right. this episode of The Cast Files is to be continued. It, it is. The Cast Files is produced by Kristen Riley and Dave Reed. Edited by Dave Reed. You can find us on Twitter at CastFiles. You can find me on Twitter at Dave Reed. That's D-A-I-V-E-R-E-E-D. You can email us at TheCastFiles. That's the with two E's at gmail.com. If you could please go rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, give us five stars and tell us that we are doing phenomenal things. Artistic, wonderful things. We are raising the bar on podcasting. We would love you forever for that. We have a Tee Public store. You can go buy t-shirts and stuff there. Music by Hal Six. Logo by Atuka Art. That's O-O-K-A-A-R-T. 